0: Have you ever had to get along with someone that you know didn't like you? Someone that maybe they told you directly they didn't like you and you had to get along with them. Or maybe just the way they treated you, told you they didn't like you. Have you ever had that experience? It can usually be a little awkward. And if you're a super self-confident person, you probably just shook it off and went on with your life. But most of us get shaken up a little bit when someone doesn't like us or someone rejects us it causes us to evaluate you know who am i as a person or what am i doing things like that but here in john chapter 7 we see jesus he gets rejected by the people and we shouldn't be surprised See in john those first four chapters they're There are descriptions about jesus and how he's the son of god but in john chapter 5 once we get there from john 5 to chapter 12 there are different questions of jesus and confrontations with jesus and conflicts with jesus and we see one of those many conflicts occurring here in chapter seven and it's interesting because we get to see how jesus responds to that rejection and we'll learn how we too can live as christians that are rejected by the people around us and we'll see first how jesus deals with that rejection in two different regions as it relates to his private ministry and his public ministry if you have an outline there we're going to read about that little private ministry jesus has in galilee in those first two verses it says after these things Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths was near. Now we first need to know kind of the setting of what's going on here. When it says after these things, it's talking about Jesus's time where he spent in the rural region to the west of the Sea of Galilee. See, in chapter five, Jesus was in the big city of Jerusalem and then chapter six, he went out to the Sea of Galilee to the mountainside, then he crossed the river and he spent about six months west of the Sea of Galilee there doing ministry in the small rural area. But there's a change that occurs when he leaves from that rural small region and goes to Jerusalem, he starts to get more attention placed on him. And we read about that large public ministry of Jesus in Jerusalem in verses 10 through 13, where it says, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. See, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, the setting changed from that small rural region with not a lot of people to a big city around lots of people. And he went to the city for what's called the Feast of Booths or the What's called the feast of the tabernacles in some translations and for jews there were three big feasts where people that lived outside of jerusalem would travel to jerusalem three times a year for three different festivals or feasts for passover pentecost and then the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles and the jewish historian josephus who lived in the first century says that this Feast of Booths was the holiest and greatest of all the feasts that the Jews celebrated. But what is that Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it was a a seven-day celebration of Jews where they would come into Jerusalem. They would build these trees out of kind of these huts out of trees. Tabernacles and these kind of shelter things, and they would stay in them for seven days and eat food. It usually occurred in the fall in about October after they had harvested their grapes and their olives. It was a reminder of God's provision of the people back in Exodus through Deuteronomy. And it was a time of thanksgiving for what God had done for them, for their harvest they had just reaped. And it was a reminder that God had also dwelt with the people back in the Old Testament. One commentary says it reminded the Hebrew people that their ancestors of their ancestors is Exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wandering, and their ingathering to the promised land. This was a happy time of remembrance for the Jews. But it also helped them look forward to a time in the future when the Messiah would bring the Hebrew nation and the people all back to the land. And I wanted to make this distinction here about Jesus' small private ministry in Galilee and this public time he has with a lot of people in Jerusalem because he doesn't encounter a lot of opposition when he's in Galilee there's not a lot of people there's not a lot going on but as soon as he goes to Jerusalem he starts to have to navigate around more trouble and more opposition and the implication there for us is that when no one knows you are a Christian and your ministry is small things are usually pretty easy if i'm a christian and i keep to myself and i don't tell anybody life is pretty easy but once i start to speak out and share that it gets more difficult for example when a woman maybe talks to you which one should i start with i've got three good examples how about this when a family member wants you to go on an expensive vacation and you have to kindly decline because you say you know i'm i've got a job i'm paying my bills i'm you know saving for retirement i give to my church i can't go on that expensive vacation to france i want to be a good steward of what god's given me as a good christian you have to be ready for your family to say why you got to be so strict put it on a credit card have a little fun and you say no You know I want to be a good steward of what God gives me when a guy at work sees an attractive woman walks by and he looks her up and down and checks her out and he looks to you as a Christian man and he says it's okay to window shop as long as I don't buy as a as a Christian you have to be ready to reply back and say no the Bible teaches us that we don't just honor other people with our thoughts or our actions we honor them with our thoughts in our eyes, that everyone is made in God's image and they're all respectful. When you say that to another guy, you better be ready for him to ridicule you. When a woman says that she should have the right to use abortion as a form of birth control, and you respond and say, sorry, as a Christian, I believe that life begins at conception, not at birth. You have to be ready for pro-choice people to be very abrupt with you and push back on you just like Jesus as he enjoyed that little time in Galilee and not a whole lot of bad things happened. when he goes to Jerusalem lots of difficult things happen because it was public we too as Christians need to know if we're just kind of keeping to ourselves life is easy but when we start to have a more public time with people they're difficult so while we see that difference in Jesus's level of rejection in the rural area versus the city we also see that jesus gets rejected by different groups of people not just in the region and if you have an outline there i'll read these verses we're kind of jumping around a little bit to simplify what's going on here but we see jesus first gets rejected by his own brothers here in this passage verses three through five it says therefore his brothers said to him leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples may also see your works which you are doing for no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly if you do these things show yourself to the world for not even his brothers were believing in him so the first group of people that reject Jesus here are his own brothers the disciple john tells us that his brothers were not believing in jesus and in the gospel of matthew we actually learn their names it's james joseph judas and simon and a couple of those names are probably familiar because two of them actually wrote books that ended up in our bible but at this time these four brothers they didn't believe in jesus as him being the Messiah, and John tells us plainly they didn't believe in Jesus in verse five. But he also shows us and how they didn't believe in Jesus. When the when the brothers tell Jesus, you should go up to Jerusalem, and show them what you can do publicly. They know just like Jesus knows, and just like John has told us in chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven, Jesus is avoiding Jerusalem because the Jews are trying to kill him. Yet his brothers are pretty quick here to say, go on up there, show them what you got. It's almost like the story of Joseph in Genesis all over again. They're trying to get rid of their brother, maybe. So he's rejected by his own brothers first. And then we see Jesus, He's rejected from his own community. He's rejected by the crowd in verse 12. So he's now arrived in Jerusalem. He's starting to walk around and it says in verse 12 about Jesus. There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Now, notice what's happening when he first arrives there. There's grumbling, my translation uses, or you could uh, translate it as murmuring, or the NIV says there was widespread whispering about Jesus, and this likely indicates some type of discontent among the people about Jesus. That same word used for grumbling is used in other parts of the New Testament to describe a secret displeasure people have, or kind of a querulous discontent that they have about jesus and we see the crowd reject him again in verse 20 a little bit later he's gone to the temple jesus has been teaching a little bit and verse 20 says the crowd answered because jesus says "Uh, the jews are trying to kill me he tells them and the crowd answers in verse 20 you have a demon who seeks to kill you Now, when they tell him that you have a demon, that could be literal. They think a demon is in him. Or it could be more of a figurative thing, like they're calling him a a raving lunatic, or he's a paranoid wacko, or something like that. And we need to think about how hard this must have been for Jesus. His own blood, his brothers, have rejected him. Now he's in Jerusalem, and the people that he's going to shed his blood for are also rejecting him But surely the religious leaders will accept Jesus, right? That's the next group we see in verse 1 The very beginning it says after these things Jesus was walking in Galilee for he was unwilling to walk in Judea Because the Jews were seeking to kill him Then verse 11 says something similar when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem so the Jews were seeking to kill him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? Now, the Jews are compared to the crowd. The Jews are probably the religious leaders because the crowd, everyone in the crowd is Jewish. That's why everybody would go to the Feast of Tabernacles. So when John says the Jews here, he's likely talking about the religious leaders the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the chief priests. All of which probably had disagreements on things theologically but they had one thing they all agreed on that they didn't like Jesus and they wanted him killed but why did they want him killed what's what's the deal and why did they not like Jesus Jesus tells us in verse 21 he said I did one deed and you all marvel that was the deed he did in chapter 5 where jesus showed up to the pool in jerusalem he sees that paralyzed man on the sabbath day he tells him to get up and walk and that's probably the one deed that jesus did in jerusalem that sent all these religious leaders over the edge and caused them to want to kill him and that's why jesus went to galilee for six months to get away from jerusalem because they were trying to kill him So we've seen here in our passage today how there's been different levels of rejection Jesus receives based on the region he was in Galilee versus Jerusalem and we've seen three different groups that reject Jesus, but how did Jesus deal with that rejection and how can we develop a similar courage for rejection as Christians. And there's three things I think we can do to develop that courage for public rejection as Christians. One is we need to remember that telling people the truth generates animosity against you. When you tell people God's word, the truth, it often generates animosity against you. Notice in verse 7, Jesus is talking to his brothers. He's responding to them. And he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. The Greek text provides clarity on this opposition here. When it says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, the disciple John places Jesus' words in a very specific way to show this contrast between Jesus and the world. He places this this is our seventh grade grammar uh, lesson if I can remember he uses the second person plural personal pronoun you right talking about the brothers in the world you and John puts it right next to the first person singular pronoun me referring to Jesus in the Greek so he shows this contrast between you in the world And me which is Jesus and in English we kind of use word order to describe to help us identify subjects verbs and objects for example Christopher is preaching to the church right subject verb object is kind of how we normally formulate sentences but in Greek word order doesn't matter a whole lot so you can move things around in order to make sure your message is delivered and here it seems like John is putting Jesus's words Right next together the you of the world right next to me to show that sharp contrast between the two of them and when we tell the truth to the world and it generates animosity people will dislike us and reject us and they'll give us reasons but usually the reasons they don't like us as Christians aren't always the true reasons you ever notice that when you talk to some people they're maybe upset with you or angry And you talk and then after a while you realize what they're really angry about isn't the actual issue that they're angry about if you've ever had those conversations and we see that here with these jewish leaders they tell jesus that they're upset with him because he healed that paralyzed man on the sabbath day but then jesus says will you circumcise a baby on the eighth day if it's the sabbath right that's a good deed and you do that you don't have a problem with that In other parts of the Bible, he'll tell them if your donkey that you use for work falls in a hole, you pick that thing up out of the Sabbath. See the Jewish leaders, they weren't really upset that he was violating the Sabbath. They were mad because Jesus was getting the credit. Jesus was attracting a crowd. That's the reason they were upset. And for us, when we talk with non-Christians, they might be upset with us for things, but those aren't the real things. And I think there's two reasons people dislike us as Christians, kind of that under-the-surface root causes. One, we remind them of the truth they know in their heart, but reject and don't follow, even if they know they should. They dislike us because we remind them of the truth they know in their heart, but they reject or don't follow. Let me give you an example there's a guy that i got to know online about a decade ago and he would write articles for the huffington post and he started sending me messages i don't remember how and so i would read his articles and he was very against christianity didn't like the church wrote anything he could put online against the church (coughs) but as we talked i would see these little hints about how he actually thought the church was good so he'd talk about how a community, it's good to be part of a community. Or music is great for the soul and we need music. And he grew up in a good Christian home. He grew up in a good evangelical church. He had great grandparents that witnessed to him. But it wasn't until several months I learned that this guy was a gay. And he was very proud of that, and he promoted that, and he pushed that. And so that lifestyle that he actively chose and pursued Caused him just to reject Christianity, even though there is a lot of good things as part of it Now we all have sin that we deal with and we struggle with and if someone says I struggle with being attracted to the same sex You know, I'm a believer, but that's a sin I struggle with that's fine And we can work through that but in his case that's a lifestyle. He chose he wanted to pursue and because of that He just rejected the church and as we encounter difficulties with people we need to ask them Is there some sin in that person's life that causes them to reject me as a Christian? J. Vernon McGee writes about this verse. He says, the world is hostile to Christ. The reason is that our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He turns on that light and that light reveals everything that is wrong. It reveals sin. He condemns sin. This is the reason he is hated even today. He condemns sin by his very presence, by his very life. This hostility is raised in man because the heart of man is evil. We just need to realize that when we share God's truth, it's going to generate animosity against us. The second reason people might dislike us is we remind them of a hurt they received by another Christian. They dislike us because we remind them them of a truth they know in their heart, or we remind them of a hurt they received by another Christian. Let me tell you another story of a a pastor that told me this story of how he was going to go plant a church in Long Beach, California, right? Long Beach, great place to plant a church. It's at the beach in California, right? So he's going to plant this church, but he doesn't have any money, so he has to get a job, and he gets a job at the city working in the the parks department, where they pair guys up in a truck, and there's about 20 guys that go in 10 different trucks, and they work together cleaning the parks. And so when he got this job at the parks department, he told his boss, I can't work on Sundays because I pastor a church, but I can work other days. And so at his first meeting, he goes with the other 20 guys that work in the parks department. His boss introduces him as the new pastor in town, and he's going to match him up with so-and-so in the back. And as soon as he matches my pastor friend up with so-and-so in the back the guy starts hooting and hollering and making fun of this pastor friend I have and that went on for three years they would ride in the truck together every day eight hours a day and he would make comments to my pastor friend about you know this was in the news and churches just want you know every negative stereotype you could think of this guy had and the pastor I know who shows a lot more patience than i probably would never took the bait never argued always was kind just let it go and because he, he's like i'm just trying to work and make my money i'm not worried about it but three years after this has been going on the guy finally opens up and i don't remember how the pastor got him to open up but the guy told this story after three years of he was 10 years old and a friend invited him to some bible camp And he went to that Bible camp. He became a Christian. He believed in Jesus. And the next Sunday when he came home, there was a church down the street. This is Long Beach. So he walks down to the church. And there's a gentleman at the front door dressed in a suit. And he said, what are you doing here, son? And the boy said, I'm a Christian now. You know, I'm coming to church. And it's Long Beach. He's wearing sandals, shorts, and a t-shirt to church. And the guy dressed in a shirt says, boy, you're not coming in here dressed like that. Go home. And for that guy's whole life, the next 40 something years, he had been hostile and against Christians. Had nothing to do really with anyone that he met. But every Christian he met reminded him of that hurt he had received. So when we encounter difficulties with these people, we need to ask, is there someone in that person's life that has hurt them? So to develop that courage for public rejection, we have to remember, telling people the truth generates animosity against us. And second, we need to focus on what God thinks of us, not what humans think of us. And Jesus does this in verse 18, we'll see here. Jesus has gone to the temple, he's been teaching, and everybody's marveling about how awesome his teaching is, even though he's just a common, everyday man. And this is part of his response, verse 18. Jesus says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. See, Jesus wasn't worried about what other people thought about him. He only worried about what God thought about him. He was seeking, as it says, seeking the glory of the one who sent him. He was seeking God's glory. He was trying to please God with what he was doing. He didn't care about what the non-believers thought about him. And we, too, need to learn not to care what other people think. This is an especially important message for high school students or junior high kids with all the peer pressure that's out there and the images. If there's one message we can give them that we talk to them about is don't care what anybody thinks about you. Don't care what other kids think about you. Just do what God wants you to do. We should learn to ask these questions. Is this pleasing to God that I'm doing? Yes. Do I care what other people think? No And learning not to care what other people think of us can be hard Especially if it's our family that gives us a hard time or ridicules us because of our faith Or if it's our boss or someone at work that ignores us or or gives us a hard time because we're christians Those are some of the closest relationships we have that are hard Just this week this woman wrote this to me She said my job has been dragging me down physically mentally and emotionally I've been struggling with what I can do to change things. The management team I'm under are unwilling to work with me, so I've decided to retire. My decision was reinforced today when I went grocery shopping. I experienced so much kindness from others and realized how much the joy has been sucked out of my life because of her job. Easier said than done to say, we don't care what people think. It's hard. We want to be accepted. But I think we'll do a better job of doing what God wants us to do when we don't worry about what other people think about us. And the third way we can develop courage for rejection is to stand on God's word, not our own authority. To stand on God's word, not your own authority. And notice how Jesus does this, too, in that same response at the temple. He's just taught, and everyone's trying to wonder how he knows all these things and teach so amazingly. He responds to them in verse 16. Jesus answered the Jews and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus states his position clearly. His teaching comes from God. He didn't make this stuff up himself. I remember a story of Billy Graham once. He's on Larry King Live. Some of my illustrations are getting older. Both these guys have passed away. But I think it's still a good story. Okay, still a good story. Maybe not as relevant now. Larry King Live, Billy Graham is talking to them. And Larry King would always do those interviews where he's like almost in the face of the person and they're talking. I don't know if you've ever felt like you want to step back when you're watching Larry King but he's talking to Billy Graham and he says Billy how can someone go to heaven and Billy says you place your faith in Jesus and you go to heaven forever and Larry King says "Well, what if they don't place their faith in Jesus Billy says if pers- if someone doesn't place their faith in Jesus for salvation they go to hell forever and Larry King kinda of interjects and says so you're saying if someone doesn't believe in Jesus they go to hell And Billy Graham replied, he said, no, I'm not saying that. God's word says that, Larry. And that story reminds us that we should rely on God's word, the Bible, when we encounter opposition. It shouldn't be our word against non-Christians' word, it's God's word against them. Warren Wearsby, who was a great Bible teacher that passed away a few years ago, he wrote 140 books and wrote commentaries on every book of the Bible. But he said this about this verse this week when i was studying he said when i teach the word of god i can claim authority from the bible but not for all of my interpretations of the bible right good reminders for us that we stand on god's word not our own authority but to do that we first have to know god's word we should read it every day we should spend time in it It's okay to read a devotional or a book about the Bible, but we should read God's word every day or listen to it being read to us. And we should know where to find things in the Bible when issues come up. If we're talking to a non-Christian and they have questions, we can't always just say, well, the Bible says it or let me check Google. Those are okay, but we kind of got to be a little quicker to be able to answer and respond. In our discipleship group that we've been doing we're taking a break for the summer but we've been memorizing some verses and topics related to those verses if someone asks us why should a christian go to church we got hebrews 10 24 through 25 talks about that if someone says i've done so many bad things i don't think god can forgive me that's first john chapter 1 verse 9. if someone says Does god even listen to prayer we got hebrews chapter 4 16 or some of the verses we were taught to memorize so that we can respond with god's word not just our own authority so as we conclude our time together i know life is difficult and the christian life is hard and being a christian in our culture is becoming more and more of a challenge not because the bible is becoming less and less clear but because our culture is moving farther and farther away from what the Bible teaches and that means that we're gonna look more and more different than the culture we're in a couple weeks ago in the Wednesday email update I sent you that portrait of a, of a disciple and one of those portraits is that we embody God's kingdom that we look different than the world around us and that's what we see Jesus doing here as he is rejected for what he came to do and to say but he still moves on in life and being rejected is hard for you and me there are gonna be times that people don't like us because we're Christians there'll be times that people hate us because of what we believe and stand for but I hope we can remember as we see Jesus do here we can remember that that simple truth telling God's word to people generates animosity When we focus, we should focus on what God thinks of us, not what humans think of us. And we should stand on God's word, not our own authority. Let's pray. God, thank you for us being able to gather here and continue going through John. Thank you for these words that are sometimes uh, difficult to understand or difficult to, to apply in our life. But I pray for our church as we seek to be obedient followers of you. That you would give us that courage. Give us the ability to stand up for what we believe in. And I know our church and I know our church people. We are kind and loving. And we love people. And I pray that you would give us that courage to match our love for others with our love for you and your truth. To apply to our lives and to share for others. So we pray for these things as our church goes about our week, that you would help them. And we especially pray this weekend for the folks that are missing their loved ones they've lost in wars, that are struggling with depression and sadness because of that. We pray that they would look to you for guidance and help and spiritual encouragement. Instead of other options the world might give them in the form of drugs or alcohol or different abuses So we pray that you would just be with those families for memorial weekend In these things we pray amen So at this time i'll invite you to stand If you're able to and i'll read us a a benediction and we'll be dismissed And now, Heavenly Father, may we leave this place to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide their feet in the way of peace. Amen.